what I want to do, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and open them up specifically to Ephesians chapter 1. For, for those of you that have been participating through our Bible studies that happen here at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, you'll know that this morning we wrapped up the book of Ephesians. We've been in this book for the past three months. And so in uh, three months uh, over the book of Ephesians, while it might seem like a, a long time to, to spend, I'm telling you, we probably could have spent three years uh, studying this book. And that's kind of the reason why I want to do what we're going to do beginning today and over these next uh, additional five weeks after today. It's because I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 1 for a little bit. Uh, because I want us to help, uh, help us to understand our identity in Christ. We just sang a beautiful song, I Am Redeemed in everything. And, and if you listen and pay real close attention to the words, it's really important that we understand who we are in Christ. Because who we are, when we understand who we are, it helps to shape how we live. And so we need that proper understanding so that we can live rightly in this world. Now, some would say that you could do all of your biblical counseling from the book of Ephesians alone. And they say this because Paul places so much of an emphasis on our identity as a believer as being found in Christ alone. See, as believers, we live from our identity, not for it. Believers, we are defined by who we are in Christ. In fact, Paul uses the phrase, in Christ Jesus, in Christ, in Him, or in the Lord Jesus, 11 times in chapter 1. In this whole letter of Ephesians, he uses the phrase, in Christ Jesus, 27 different times. In fact, in all of his letters, he uses that phrase more than 160 times. Paul wants us to clearly understand our identity because it's important that we know who we are. And you need to know this morning that you are not defined by your feelings. You are not defined by the feelings or the opinions of other people. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by your failures. Nor are you defined by your successes. You're not defined by the car you drive, the clothes you wear, or the house you think you own, when in reality, you know, the bank still holds the note on that thing. You're not defined by any of these. You are defined by God and God alone. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 10, it says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of God. Of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brothers. So, so everyone in this room falls into either one or two categories. There, this is it. There, there's no other, there's not a third choice. You are either a child of God, or according to scriptures, you are a child of the devil. You're a child of God. 
then it says that you do not, uh, you practice and you pursue rather the righteousness of God and you love your brothers. And so if you don't love your brothers and you don't practice the righteousness, then according to God's word, you're not a child of God, you're a child of the devil. The thing is, if you don't know who you are, then you are vulnerable to be influenced by the opinions or the the statements of other people. And they will shape how you think about yourself. The cold, hard fact is, you are who God says you are. And over the next six weeks, we're going to see who God says we are according to Ephesians chapter 1. And so we begin this morning with Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This week we begin with the realization that if you are a child of God, then according to the Word of God, you're a saint. And perhaps no other word in the New Testament has suffered more than this word, saint. Most people have a tendency to connect the word saint with dead people. Those who have achieved some sort of spiritual superiority and have been therefore given a special title after they have died. That's where a lot of us get this association with this word saint. Even our dictionary defines saint as a person officially recognized for the holiness of their life. Which begs the question, who does this recognition and how does this recognition actually occur? And so it's usually a religious body. The process by which a person becomes a saint is technically referred to as canonization. And so in order for, for a deceased person to be declared a saint according to some traditions, uh, this deceased person's life would have to be carefully examined. And if the, the candidate's character and conduct in this life were found to be above reproach, and if they were credited for the performance of at least two miracles, then they are eligible for sainthood. Perhaps you've heard about this process before. Well, as interesting and fascinating as this may be, I want to be real clear to help you to understand that this is nowhere found in Scriptures. Nine times in the book of Ephesians, Paul addresses his readers as saints. I'm going to show them to you. Verse number 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Go down to verse number 15. There he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Go down to verse 18. There he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Then look in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse number 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In chapter 3, look at verse number 8. 
He says, to me, though, I am uh, the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Later in chapter 3, in verse number 18, he says that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. Then look in verse four, um, chapter 4. Go down to chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Then again in chapter 5, he hits it again. Chapter 5, verse number 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And then in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse number 18. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Every single chapter in this letter that Paul wrote, he was careful and clear to identify the recipients as saints. So these saints were alive. Paul wasn't writing a letter to a bunch of dead people, nor was Paul writing a letter to a football team in New Orleans. Although there are probably some on that team that are saints. Good for them. Amen. But he's writing to a group of people that are alive with their faith and trust rooted in Jesus Christ. They're alive, although according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, they were once dead in their trespasses and sins. They were once dead, but now they're alive in Christ Jesus. And being alive in Christ Jesus, they are declared as saints. The word saint simply is one of many terms that's used in the New Testament to describe the individual who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They're given many different titles throughout the Scripture. The saints that Paul is writing to, they're alive, not just physically alive, but they're spiritually alive. That's why Ephesians 2.1 says that you were dead. In trespasses and sins, which means you no longer are spiritually dead, you're now spiritually alive. So, this word saint comes from a Greek word, and that Greek word is the word uh, hagos. It's H A I G O S. That's how you would write it out hagos. And that word means to be holy, to be dedicated to God, to be, to be set apart. And like I said earlier, this is just one term that, that is used in Scripture to, de to describe believers. There's others. In other places, like you'll see in Acts chapter 9, at least eight different references to believers being identified as being disciples. In Acts chapter 19 and Acts chapter 24, you'll see at least two times in both of those chapters that believers as, uh, are being identified as people of the way. You've heard that one before? We don't use that one a lot anymore, but they're identified as being people of the way. People of the way, disciples. But here, Paul is putting the emphasis on the word saints. And so it comes from this Greek word, hagos, and it means to be set apart, to be dedicated to God. 
to be considered holy. I think it helps us to have a better understanding of this word when we take a historical look or approach at understanding what this word means. And so we go back to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it helps us to give a better foundation for the, for the proper understanding of this word saint. And so going back into the Old Testament, you'll find in places like Exodus chapter 19, it'll be on the screen, Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6 says, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, he's calling out a a special group of individuals. He's setting apart a special group of people. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, Verse number 6, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth to be His people, His treasured possession. So again, you've been chosen, chosen, selected out of all the people to be His special people. Now the New Testament picks up this same theme and now applies it to believers, not just a select group of individuals that represented God and was His representative in a world, but now this this same word is being used as the same theme, and it's applying rightly to all believers. And I'll show you in Scripture where it says in First Peter chapter two, First Peter chapter two verses nine and ten says, "But you." are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You see the Old Testament connection and where where this is drawing from? That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so he's saying, like, you're saints. You're, you're holy ones. You're God's very own people. That is, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So I'm telling you that that's what it means to be a saint. To be separated. To be set apart. Set apart from this world because your identity is found in who you are in Christ. And that is your identity alone. So, so a saint looks just like anybody else, which means a, a saint could, could be a rich person or a poor person. A saint could be a man or a woman. And those are the only two choices. My Lanta. A saint comes in all shapes, sizes, Skin tones. A saint may be highly educated or illiterate. There are saints in Ephesus, and praise the Lord, there are saints in Kingsland. While believers have geographical locations like Ephesus or or Kingsland, uh, spiritually, we're all positioned in Christ Jesus. So the important question becomes, how do these people in Ephesus become saints? How do, how do people today become identified as a saint? What makes a person a saint? If it's not about their appearance, if it's not about their church attendance, 
if it's not about their voting record or, or their giving contributions, if it's not about any of that, then, then what's it about? Again, go back to Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. I'd circle that word faithful. I'll come back to it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Since I was reading through this, even this morning, it reminds me, and you can go ahead and take a journey because it's not on the screen. Um, turn a few pages to your right. Go to the book of Colossians, if you will. You have Ephesians, then it's Philippians, then it's Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. You'll see a very similar, the, the greeting that, that Paul gives here as well. In Colossians chapter 1, it says that Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, then he goes in verse 2, to the saints, he says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ, I call it saying, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So when, when Paul addresses his letter to the saints, and then in Colossians, he addresses it to the saints and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, you need to understand that he's not addressing two different groups of people. The word faithful carries with it the meaning of believers in Christ Jesus. These people were not saved by their living faithful lives. Rather, they're saved and they're identified as a saint because they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So what makes a person a saint? It's their faith in Christ and Christ alone. That's what makes an individual a saint. And when someone places their faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior, then they are taken out of the world spiritually. Physically, we're still here. But spiritually, positionally, we are taken out of the world and now we are placed in Christ Jesus. So yes, we remain in the world physically, but we do not remain of the world spiritually. I want you to look and see what Jesus has to say about this in John chapter 17. There he has a beautiful prayer for us today. And he says, I have given them your word. In verse number 14, John 17, 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Then he says in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So in verse 17, he says to sanctify them in the truth. And then in verse number 19, he says that they also may be sanctified in truth. What you need to know about this word sanctified or, or sanctification, it shares with it the same root word in the Greek as the word saints. The word saints comes from the Greek word hagios. 
the word sanctified comes from a Greek word, hagiazo. And, and so both words share the same root, which means as believers, we have been set apart. We have been made holy, and therefore we are called and considered a saint. This is true both positionally and experientially. What I mean by that is positionally, we are holy in Christ. And experientially, we are called to be holy in Christ. And so what that means is that once you believe, then you have to begin to understand who you are in Christ. And once you begin to understand who you are in Christ, then it ought to greatly affect how you live in this world. If, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then according to God's Word, you have been set apart. You have been set apart for the beautiful purpose that you might glorify Him and make His glory known among the nations. Now, if you have faith in Christ, then you have been considered holy. Not only are you considered holy, you're called to live a life of holiness. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a saint. Live like it. Understand it. See how He separated you from this world. He's pulled you out of this world and placed you in His Son. Therefore, live a life that's radically different than the world in which we live. Love other people. Be kind and gracious to others. Always be forgiven. Being full of mercy. And your words be tender and uplifting. May the words that you speak bring healing and life to other people instead of damage and destruction. If you belong to Him, then you have been set apart by Him and for Him. Understand that and embrace it. And after having identified who we are in verse number 1 as a saint, then Paul goes on to give them a greeting in verse number 2. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is, is God's undeserved favor. Peace, I would say, is the fruit of, of God's grace. That there's... No way to experience peace without first experiencing the grace of God. So, so Paul declares that as saints, that, that we are recipients of the grace and, and the peace of God. Grace, peace, faith, they all go together. Because the only way that we can experience the grace of God, the only way that we can have peace with God is by faith. Faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's why Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 rightly declares, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Remember, 
what I said from the very beginning. The, the phrase, in Christ Jesus, is used 27 times in this letter. So this phrase describes spiritual, the spiritual position of believers. We are identified with Christ. We are in Christ. And therefore, we are able to draw upon the wealth of Christ for our own day-to-day living. I'm encouraged to know that according to the Word of God, God looks at me and He says, David, you're a saint. You've been set apart. You've been separated. Not because of anything in you. Not because of anything that you've done. Not because of how good you, you might think that you are. No, it's all because of what I do and, and what I give. And so for by grace, David, you have been saved through faith. And, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. What, what's the gift of God? Well, the gift of God is, is, is the grace that he extends salvation and the faith that he gives to one so that they can receive the salvation that he extends to them. So, so grace and, and faith, they're both gifts from the Holy Father. And as a recipient of that, then I now need to understand positionally how does God view me. And now he views me as being separated from this world and now fully identified in his Son. Therefore, he commands me now to live a life that's worthy of the title to which he has given me. Which is the same for you. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, then he calls you a saint. How saintly are you living today? Are you living a life that, that truly reflects and honors the title to which God has given you? My, my assumption, and you can correct me after the service if you need to, but my assumption is we're all struggling with it. We're all struggling with properly understanding who we are in Christ and what God's called us to do as a result of our identity. And I can't help but to, just to make that assumption. All you got to do is just look at our, our, our community. You can look at our state. You can look at our nation. And you can begin to see just how dysfunctional we are and how desperately lacking the Christian community is in a proper understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus. I mean, if you were in Bible study this morning, then you understood that we have been called to engage in this battle to which we are a part of. Spiritual warfare is happening. But God doesn't just leave us here to fend for ourselves. He gives us certain things. And how beautiful is that? And so for those of you that uh, have yet to engage and connect with the Bible study hour, let me help you out by letting you understand what it is that you've been given. So look in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul beautifully wraps up this letter. I think with a mission statement and a charge of encouragement for his recipients. In verse number 10 he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God. Don't just put on a part of it, but put it all on, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness to give the gospel of peace. Now I love that one because sometimes we have this understanding that the messengers of the gospel of peace is resigned or limited to just the ministers. Where as a believer, as a child of God, we're all required to, to, to put on a shoes for our feet, having put on the readiness to give uh, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In other words, as a child of God, we're all responsible for being messengers of the gospel of peace. It's not just reserved for, for pastors or clergy. It's all of us doing it. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the, the Word of God. And I love the last one, the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, if you're in class this morning, you probably talked about that sword is somewhere probably 6 to 18 inches long. It looks like a, a small sword. But the sword was able to be used as a defense mechanism and also as an attack weapon. So what is our defense? Yeah, one person paid attention in class this morning. Congratulations. The Word of God. The Word of God is our defense. The Word of God is our weapon. And that means that we should know the Word of God to such a degree that we're able to give defense of God's Word and we're able to rightly apply it in the world that we live in. We should not be ashamed. We should not be embarrassed. We should not have to apologize for taking a stand on the Word of God. But you need to know what it says. You need to understand what it says. Because this is our tool. This is our weapon. And so we have to rightly know what God's Word says. So we don't need to spend a whole lot of time talking about all the, 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 the false gospel that's out there. We don't need to talk about all the false teaching. We don't need to break it all down and, 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 and things like that. What we need to do is oversaturate you with the true Word of God. So that when you come across something that's fake, you'll automatically identify it, not because you studied all the fakeness, but because you still studied the truth. And so then you knowing the truth can have the, the weapon of the Word of God at your disposal so that you can declare the truth in a loving, gentle, kind-hearted way, not at some arrogant, boastful, self-centered manner. It's not to be used that way. But, but you speak the truth in love. 
But you're never going to be able to fully speak the truth if you don't know the truth. You're not going to know the truth unless you study the truth. And most likely, you're not going to be faithful in studying the truth if you're only trying to do that on your own. That's why it's important for you to get connected with a community of believers that will study the Word of God with you, will hold you accountable for rightly applying the Word of God in your life. And so stop doing this Christianity thing all by yourself because that too like this canonization process that's not found in Scripture, that too is not found in the Word of God either. We are a body. A body of believers. That God, it's not by accident that we're all here. God has beautifully brought us all together. And as a body of Christ, we have different functions to fulfill. We have different roles and responsibilities to embrace. And as a church, we're to be there to love one another, to encourage one another, to help each other. When we see someone wander from the truth that we talked about last week, we're to be there to to take them by the hand and guide them back to the proper path to get them back going in the right direction. And so may you know, according to the Word of God, that if you belong to Him, and you're a child of God, then God calls you a saint. It doesn't mean that we're living up to that title, but it does challenge us to be aware of that and to strive to honor that by how we live our life. And so these next few weeks, some of you are going to struggle greatly with it. I'm just going to go ahead and acknowledge that because I get it. I've I've preached through these texts before. I kind of know what's going to be coming my way. And I'm ready for it because I'm only going to show you what I believe is the truth. And I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures to support what I have to say. And in sharing this with you, if you take exception to it or you think it's being wrongly applied, I invite you to come. Let's get together. Let's sit down. Let's open the Word of God together. and, And let's look at it together. Because I am open for God using you to correct and to speak truth into my life. And I just hope that as you come here week after week, that you also are open for God to allow me to speak truth and bring correction into your life. And if we'll do that together in love, then it'll be a beautiful thing that'll happen. But next week, we're going to talk about probably the most difficult one or the difficult thing for us to wrap our mind around. What is it? I'll tell you next week. So, with that being said, the audible that I want to extend to us is I I want the the worship team to go ahead and come back up here again. And for our time of invitation today, some of us will be at the front. Daryl and Lisa, y'all come up with me. Catherine, come on up. We're going to be up here in the front. Uh, But I kind of want us just to sing a, a... strongly now the declaration i am redeemed because i want you to understand who you are in christ jesus and this is a beautiful song that helps to paint the picture of our identity and as we're singing through this man if we can pray with you if we could talk with you if we can encourage you in any way that's what we want to do the altar's open you can come you can kneel you can pray you can do that where you're sitting You can stand as we sing. You can sit down as you sing. You can lay prostrate on the floor as we sing. You can. Some of you need to wake the person up so they don't fall over. 
because, like, really, never mind, I'm going to be good. But to get some sleep on Saturday night, come on. But anyway, that's a different thing for a different day. Let me pray for us, and let's, let's worship a little bit, and then we'll be done. Father, thank you for who you are and what you're doing. God, help us to wrap our minds around our identity, Father, so that we can properly live the life that you've called us to live. God, how beautiful it is that you look at us and, and you define us as a saint, which means you've separated us. You've called us out for the purpose of glorifying you and making your glory known. God, help us to understand that purpose. Help us to embrace that purpose. God, during this time, as we continue to worship, whatever decisions need to be made today, I pray that we would do so right here and right now for your honor and for your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.